reading this morning, first of all, from the Old Testament, uh, from the book of Exodus. These are familiar words at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. We read, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then these words from the Gospel of Luke, it comes from a passage where Jesus is asking people to count the cost if they would follow him. He's talking about the way of the cross. And we read these words, beginning in verse 25 from Luke. Large crowds are traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus said some things that were truly shocking to his original audience. The crowds who heard him were often alarmed and even appalled by what he had to say. Even Jesus' own loyal followers thought that what Jesus said was rather offensive at times. The Gospel writer John vividly describes the reaction of some of his disciples to his teaching this way. This is more than we can stomach. Why listen to such talk? A few verses later, we learn the outcome. From that time on, many of the disciples withdrew and no longer went about with him. It almost seems as though Jesus went out of his way to antagonize people. And in a way, he was. That's what he tried to do. He was always upsetting religious apple carts, smashing old, inadequate, pre preconceived notions of God and God's ways with people, exposing old prejudices that were just plain wrong. So Jesus deliberately said some very hard, shocking things to disturb people, to wake them up from their spiritual complacency, to get them to think about their lives before God in a new way. And as I say, many people uh, listening to Jesus found his words just too hard to swallow, and they just walked away. But then others who still found their, those words difficult nevertheless took them to heart and they found blessing. And they followed Jesus even more passionately than before. Mark Twain once said that the things in the Bible that bothered him the most were not those that he did not understand, but those that he did understand. Sometimes Jesus is just all too clear. And his words seem all too difficult, way over the top. And so we tend to stop our ears. We just don't listen. We go our merry way. But we do so at our spiritual perils. Because although Jesus' words may be rather harsh and uncompromising at times, they are a necessary challenge to us. They awaken us to our need and to his ability to meet our need. So this morning we come to one of the most shocking statements ever from the mouth of Jesus. Again, these words, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. I know, are you appalled? Are you shocked? I mean, it's pretty strange, right? What can he possibly mean? To hate one's family is an appalling thought, seems uh, against everything that Jesus stood for. To hate one's family goes against the grain of human nature. It, contrary to everything that Jesus preached about love. Honoring father and mother are, uh, for all of them, one of the Ten Commandments, and you think that Jesus would stand squarely behind those commandments? And indeed, he does. In fact, I can assure you that Jesus was actually very pro-family. But here's the thing. When Jesus was talking about hating one's family, he was consciously employing a hyperbole. You know, you know what a hyperbole is? It's an exaggerated figure of speech to make the point. He was deliberately trying to shock his audience to get them to think about their true priorities in life. Essentially, he's saying that our love for him must take precedence over every other kind of love, even the love we have for our own family. Now the Gospel of Matthew actually softens Jesus' statement. It reads, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. It doesn't have that same shocking appeal, right? It's softened, but it's what Jesus is trying to get at. He's not saying we shouldn't love our families. It's just that our loyalty to him must supersede all other ties, even the ties that are so precious to us, ties of family. And that would seem like a very strange demand if the one who said this was not the Son of God. Of course, he was and he is. Family ties, and any other earthly tie for that matter, must never come between us and him. We are to love him above all else, even if to love him means that we begin to lead a life that can be painful or difficult, at least a hardship. Jesus knew his followers were in for some tough times. He uttered these words about hating one's family in the context of going to the cross. In fact, the very next verse, he talks about how to be a disciple, you have to take up the cross. And so he knew that the disciples' love would be tested. Would they remain loyal? Were they truly all in for him and for his mission? Even if it meant going with him to the cross? Jesus Christ must be at the center of our lives. It dare not be a family member, a special relationship with a friend, a precious possession, a padded bank account, or a career we love dearly. People or things cannot have the preeminent position in our lives, for they were not designed to serve as our ultimate source of meaning and purpose. Only God can fully sustain our life. Only God is worthy of our ultimate trust, because all earthly things, no 
no matter how precious they are, are bound to disappoint us in the end. Since Jesus is God incarnate, God in human flesh, to give first place to anyone or to anything else is idolatry. Hence the first commandment. You shall not have any other gods before me. So the Bible reveals a God who is jealous. God in Jesus Christ wants us for himself. He wants our complete and undivided attention. He desires our love and our friendship, our ultimate allegiance and loyalty. He doesn't want to share us with anybody else or anything else. He doesn't want to be just one concern among many. But he wants to be front and center in our lives. Someone once placed this ad in the newspaper, uh, kind of a creative ad, actually, uh, in a very conspicuous place on the front page of the paper. The reader was instructed to turn to the last page. And so the reader would go to the last page, and he would see that it's empty, except for one little sentence, a very tiny font, the bottom right corner of the newspaper. And the words read, Is this where you're putting Jesus Christ in your life? You see, our, our Lord doesn't want to be relegated to the back pages. Uh, he doesn't want some uh, obscure corner of our lives. He, he doesn't want to just be Lord of the religious department of our lives. And for some of us, actually, that, that religious department is actually quite small. Um, maybe Sunday morning for an hour, maybe. But what he wants is our worship. And what is worship but to love the Lord our God with all our hearts soul and mind and strength. He wants us to be all in for Him. So you and I must ask ourselves if He indeed is the most important reality in our life. Is He truly preeminent in our lives? Is He number one? When we say, when we call Jesus Lord, is He Lord? Because everything in our life kind of flows from that. Is He the most important reality in our life? Honestly. Because that's what He's asking, you know. Keith Miller, a writer of devotional books, put it this way. And I love the way that he puts this so allow me to read it. He says, the first thing I would like for you to do is to look into your own inner life and ask yourself the question, What's the most important thing in the world to me? The temptation is to say God, but let me tell you some ways you can tell what is really most important to you. What do you think about again and again when your mind is not engaged with work or with someone else? Let me give you some suggestions of the kinds of things I mean. Do you think about your wife or husband or children? Do you think about being great in your vocation? or being considered a brilliant person, or, so, or socially sophisticated? Or are your recurring thoughts about sex or your own beauty? Or are your thoughts when alone centered in your own problems, jealousy, or centered on yourself? And then Miller says, now each of these thoughts 
is like a rubber ball on a string tied to the center of our mind. You throw it out, and you get busy with the work of the day, but when you're alone, that becomes again and again to sit in the middle of the stage of your attention. I'm asking you to consider this because whatever you focus this hottest intensity of your mind on is very likely what you worship instead of Jesus Christ. For what is our worship if it is not the object of your life's most intense focus? Always well, like that, that image, you know, it's like that rubber ball of the string. Throw it out, and it keeps coming back, it keeps coming back. Takes up our time, takes up our attention, takes us over. Now please understand, it's not wrong to love our children, or our wife, or our husband, or our vocation. Loving God more than our families doesn't mean that we love our family any less. Love is not a zero-sum game. But our loves in life must be properly ordered and balanced, and it's wrong to love them more than Jesus. Because if we love them more than Jesus, everything goes askew. Think of Jesus, the cross, the center of your life, and then you have a circle of all of the things you like, engage you. If Christ is at the center, then everything is in proper balance. If he's not, Again, it's askew. It's unhealthy. It's not what God designed for it to be. We love those things more than we love Christ, then they become idols. Now, I'm convinced that the things which keep us from a vital relationship with Christ are not the bad things in life. Obviously, bad things, bad things we do, we make, whatever. But rather, the good things which capture our imaginations and keep them, keep, keep us from focusing on Him. It's good things we love too much. In fact, the devil often comes clothed as an angel of light, you know? Such attractive things. Good things in themselves, but they become toxic if they become too good to us. And so Jesus can say, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Or as a modern translation puts it, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, cannot be my disciple. So what are you and I holding on to that may be taking Jesus' place in our lives. I remember a pastor uh, giving an illustration uh, along these lines that has stuck with me all these years. I'll never forget it. Um, he stopped in the middle of his sermon and he asked if there was anybody out in the congregation who uh, was 10 years old. And so one girl raised her hand and uh, she was asked to come to come forward. And the pastor gave her a number of things that 10-year-old girls would just love. Um, you know, uh, toys. Of course, there were no video games at the time. No iPads. 
those gravies. But you know, soda pop and candy and a, a stuffed Snoopy dog or you know whatever ten year old girls like. And uh, he kept giving her things, all these things, really good things, nice things that a kid would like to have, until she could hold them no more. And he promised that she could keep all of those things. But then he took her over to the communion table and offered to give her communion, explaining how the bread and how the cup were the signs of Jesus' presence and love. Then he told her that she would have to drop all of those things to take communion and would have to give all of those other things to someone else. Well, she wasn't different than most of us. She decided to keep her soda pops and her candy and her toys. She was all tied up with the things that she had. Her hands were full and she just couldn't let go. In order to be free, she had to let go and to let God into her life, so to speak. So, what are you and I holding on to so tightly that's keeping us from receiving Christ and His love? It may be that our own self-centeredness is in the way. There's a sense then to use Jesus' words that we need to hate even our own life. That is, we need to die to ourselves, to our own ego, letting go of our own priorities and ambitions and plans so that He can have His way with us. And it's His way that leads to blessing and to new life. Sometimes we just need to get out of the way so that He can work in us. That Christ is truly the center of our lives. He's the most important reality in our life. If He's truly Lord, as we call Him Lord, then our lives will inevitably, radically change. We will live in constant awareness of His presence. We will begin to, uh, to have the mind of Christ. We'll, be, we'll begin to think as He thinks. We will consciously and even unconsciously follow His pattern, His model for life. We will serve His agenda and not just our own. We'll practice our faith in ways that show forth God's love and mercy. If, he, if our love for God is preeminent, then that love is going to spill out and it will be apparent to others around us. That we will be people of love and grace and mercy. That there will be something different about us. That we will have experienced transformation because He's the most important reality in our life. And when that happens, we are like shining stars in the night sky. And you know more than anything in this climate, this cultural climate we're living in and through, uh, the polarization and the hatred, shootings, synagogue shootings, among other things, weird things, pipe bombs, things happening, this world more than anything else needs love. More importantly, 
This world needs God. Because God is the source of love. It's God who changes lives. It's God who transforms people from the inside out. And that means it begins with you and me. To what degree are we being transformed because he's the most important reality in our life. We love him more than anything else in all creation. Yes, even our own children. I asked this question at, the Wednesday, at my Wednesday morning Bible study. I don't know, it just kind of came to me. There are two billion people on this planet that call themselves Christians. Do you know that? Actually, somebody, actually the statistics are 2.4 billion. It's still the number one religion in the world. Uh, 2.4 billion. Now, obviously, how do you count that? I mean, I don't know how they counted. Only God knows people's hearts anyway. But here's the thing. What would this world be like if those who claim the name of Jesus actually put him first in their lives. What would this world look like? And if we actually put him first in our lives, what would our lives look like? I would suspect that they would look more like Jesus himself, in a way. So Jesus says to you and to me what he said to the crowds traveling with him. Unless you place me as the first priority over every other priority in your life, unless you love me more than anyone or anything else, you cannot be my disciples. Strong words. 